Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. And I saw that bird get the young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue what was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Sasquatch Coffee Company, who happens to be the sponsor of our show, um, Sasquatch Coffee. You can find us at www.squatchcoffee.com. Sasquatch Coffee, have you tried it yet? With me today, as always, is my co-host and good friend, Shane Corson. Shane, how are you this Sunday? Doing well once again. Doing well. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me back to uh, help you out with this brilliant show. <laughs> well, it's good to have you as always. So, have you recovered from uh, your sadness from the Super Bowl? Indeed, I have. Indeed, I have. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, uh, that was a that was a game that it was meant to go the way it went because it could have so easily went the Seahawks' way. They just um, inexplicably uh, ran a play at the end there that I had to question. And I've never coached football, but played a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, so congratulations to to Monster Xers that are fans of the New England Patriots. Um, it was a hard-fought game, and uh, the Patriots came out victorious. So um, yes, indeed. I did want to mention uh, we are at uh, Sasquatch Coffee. We're coming out with a, a bunch of new varieties here pretty soon and one of those varieties will be right up the alley of, of uh, our uh, guest today. Uh, we're coming out with a Bluff Creek blend and our guest today of course are the uh, the gentlemen that are uh, working in, in uh, the Bluff Creek area, the, the Bluff Creek project team so I'm sure uh, 
they'll be happy to know that they'll each get a bag of Bluff Creek coffee as soon as it's ready. So, a few announcements. Uh, there's still time to uh, to get tickets to go to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference coming up on May 16th at Salt Fork Lodge and Conference Center in, of course, Ohio. You can go to www.ohiobigfootconference.com to get all the information there. Coming up also is the uh, 2015 second annual Florida Skunk Cake Ape Conference, hard to say, um, www.thesasquatchhunters.com. Stacy Brown is, is hosting that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the first ever Team Squatch in USA Habituation Conference is coming up April 24th through the 26th, um, hosted by Matt Johnson up in Washington. And you can go to www.teamsquatchinusa.com to get the details for that. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm running a little hoarse today. So, uh, Shane, what's, what's new in your Bigfoot world? Uh, honestly, not a whole lot right now. It's been kind of uh, downtime. We've been getting so much rain up here in the Pacific Northwest. <clears throat> um, it's been kind of quiet. Got some, uh, got a few things planned with the Olympic project coming up here shortly. Um, not like non-public expeditions, just a few trips out, and hope to get back out to the Tillamook area. Um, but it's kind of hard to do anything with this sort of rain we've been having, uh, especially for audio recordings and just uh, you know camping in some of these areas in general. It's just too wet. So not a whole lot in the recent past recent weeks. So I know that that uh, there was a, a group from the Tillamook Forest Research Group that that uh, went up to uh, and spent some time in the Olymp with uh, Derek and, and David and Tom and everybody up there at the Olympic Project. So that that uh, I, I wasn't able to go, but it, it sounded like it was a good time. So. Oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, the that was the. Uh, uh, before the Super Bowl, so um, it's the last time I've actually really done anything. But yeah, it was a good time. Did a lot of uh, a lot of fun hiking. Checked some trail cameras, um, and did a lot of collaboration on uh, future projects uh, and um, some ideas. And uh, it was just time to get together for some friends and some of the Olympic Project members to uh, knock heads together and, and uh, get this year planned out. Get some strategy and goals set. So uh, in that aspect, yeah, it was a very informative and, and very. Um, uh, to the point, and, and uh, looking forward to this year. Got a lot planned. It's gonna be fun. Well, I know that that uh, I talked to Larry, and he was pretty excited about. Uh, he he put his head together with uh, Johnny Manson was there, and they uh, they spent some time talking audio, and and that's Larry's passion. So, um, with I think I'm gonna go ahead and uh, are we ready yeah. to talk to our guests? We've got uh, a bunch of them today, so I'm going to. Start at the top here. Hey, welcome to Monster X. Who have I got? Hello. Hey, this is uh, Robert Leibman. How you doing? Hi, Robert. Who else we got here? 707 from the, the Bluff Creek Project. That would be me, Steve, I believe. Yeah, James is <laughs> I recognize your voice. So I got one more here. I'm assuming this is Jamie. <laughs> yeah, How's it going, Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Hey, so I think we going? got almost everybody. Cool. 
Yeah, I think uh, Rowdy was kind of busy today, so I'm not sure if he's uh, still calling later or, or or what. But he's got he's got the number, so. Cool. So, thanks you guys for coming on the Monster X today, and uh, you guys are are always busy down in the Black Creek area. Um, why don't you give our the Monster Xers a little background on on uh, what you're doing down there? Uh, Robert, uh, you want to take this one and uh, and introduce the uh, project a little bit? Yeah, sure. Why not? Well, uh, yeah. So, so, so uh, Jamie, you want me to go with the uh, film site project or go with the uh, yeah. camera? Why, why don't we Why don't we talk about the uh, film site project first? The uh, rediscovery project. Oh, sure. Yeah, I guess we started with that. It was Stephen, Ian, and myself. We started back with that and. Uh, I guess 2010, that was our first time as a team going up doing some videography work, trying to document relocating the film site. And uh, we had like five choices to work with. So over a period of uh, two years, about two seasons, we narrowed it down to uh, the current, the proper uh, Bluff Creek film site area. Uh, we had we did more than five, Robert. Oh. <laughs> was that? We started with five and it grew to like eight or nine. Well, I, I didn't want to come confuse everything. Can we just keep it as simple as possible? Yeah, I, you count Scorpion Creek and uh, Bobby Short, uh, Al Hopkins, or whatever sounded good at the time. It just gets kind of confusing after a while. Yeah, indeed it did. You Can I keep going with that, Robert? Well, I, I, you're, you're like the techie guy. I'm just like the, the grunt, the motor. Hey, I'm just interjecting little comments, you know. <laughs> well, I, I can talk a little bit about the uh, camera project, and uh, yeah, where we kind of took great. off from the. Uh, so, uh, the camera project kind of took off from the film site project uh, when um, everyone was kind of working on exact, trying to figure out exactly where the film site was, and um, like Robert said, they had it narrowed down to. Uh, from nine or ten sites down to five sites, and then they focused in on one site, and uh, I helped them out with some of the um, mathematics and uh, proving that was the original site based on uh, some of the stump positions um, that are seen in the Patterson-Gimlin film. So I was able to use some uh, trigonometry from uh, uh, using old pictures and stuff, and uh, and then uh, we were able to prove that was the original site. But uh, when we were down there taking measure- measurements, we noticed a lot of tracks and animal activity and uh i had been into uh trail cameras and uh so i thought it would be great to put a trail camera out there and um we went forward with that and put a single trail camera out um on the road in um that big long uh trail uh gunner you know that trail you you, you went down there with us i did um and uh so we got some good footage on that, so I thought it would be good to um, get more cameras, but they're just, uh, they're a little bit out of our price range to get more and more cameras, you know, so we started a crowdfunding site, and uh, we got enough uh, donations in the first uh, two months to purchase four cameras, which is huge. Uh, I think we made $1,200 for that first uh, crowdfunding project, and we got overwhelming support, you know, because we had found the uh, the the site we knew that was the site and there was animals down there so what better way to uh, test the 
Bigfoot hypothesis than by, you know, putting trail cameras down there and seeing what moves around down there in the winter. So it's kind of evolved from there over the last uh, uh, three years or so. And now we have, um, uh, we had 20 cameras and uh, two of them are down right now. So now we're down to uh, 18 cameras, but uh, I hope to purchase uh, six more uh, in the next couple of weeks here. So we'll, we'll be up there again. <laughs> so 18 cameras. I mean, how often do you guys go out? That's a lot of uh, covering a lot of ground. I'd imagine. I mean, I guess the, First question: Have you you've gotten any pictures of Bigfoot or Patty's relatives? Or um, well, uh, the easy answer is no. Um, we have stuff. We have a lot of stuff that if uh, if we were less uh, concerned about legitimacy of our project and things, we could uh, you know say, Hey, look at look what we got. Isn't this weird? And this could be a Bigfoot or this could be a Bigfoot, but. Uh, for the most part, we know that those things aren't, you know, that they're actually bears or uh, that they're um, they're something else. Um, so we get a lot of ambiguous footage of, you know, weird furry things. But a lot of times, you know, 30 seconds before on another camera, we get a bear walking in front of the, uh, some other camera right there. So we have a lot of stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we try and put uh, cameras that face each other which uh, kind of eliminates the maybes, which is, I think, <laughs> uh, which I think is why we don't get uh, a lot of Bigfoots on camera because, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the Bigfoot footage that people get is very ambiguous, you know? So um, we, 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 we know, you know, when we get something that's weird that we don't know what it is, we usually uh, look at another camera and we can see what it is. <laughs> and uh, we have a lot of thing that, you know, a lot of other other groups, they seem to want the maybes. You know, they want the ambiguous things so they can call it a Bigfoot. Right. I mean, yeah. Double, yeah, and that I think it's great that you guys have like camera two cameras pointed on the same area so that, like you say, you, you get all yeah. that ambiguous stuff. And and uh, a lot of times we're getting single fuzzy pictures and and people are having to circle things in it to to tell yeah. you that there's you're supposed to be looking at so and yeah, we, well, we get pretty like definite uh, we get pretty definite footage and imagery of all the other animals up there you know the right, green so tail yeah. wasn't blurry the mountain lions aren't blurry you know the bears aren't blurry so why would right, we be blurry <laughs> we want a definitive kind of image of a of a real animal you know not a, a an ambiguous blurry nothing yeah uh, not not to interrupt but uh i guess i did uh but uh <laughs> Jimmy had a nice, nice shot off the camera. Uh, there was some discussion over the Jacobs footage that was going back and forth, debating whether that was a, a Bigfoot, a young juvenile Bigfoot, or, or a, a mangy-looking bear. And one of the photos that Jamie pulled off the camera was very similar to the Jacobs photo. Jamie, you want to talk talk about that one? Um, we uh, that was one of the Reconyx cameras. Um, normally, we use uh, Bushnell cameras that take HD video of everything and uh we don't deal too much with photos just because um with photos there's so there's so damn many of them that uh, it's kind of hard to go through uh and you know video is much more telling of what the animal is um so uh we got a camera donated by bart uh Coutinho. uh he had an extra reconics camera and he he liked what we were doing so he uh he donated that to the project and um in its first uh, couple of months, we put it in a really prime location right next to a big lake in a swamp. And 
there was bears going through there every day and rolling in this little uh, mud hole. And uh, the mud hole was kind of uh, kind of deep and had a little puddle at the bottom. Uh, so the bears, when they would drink out of it, they would stick their nose way, way down. And uh, their, their haunches were sticking straight up. And uh, one of our photos looks exactly like, exactly like the Jacobs photo. The same position, the head way down, um, and uh, the rear end sticking straight up. And um, the photos all around it show the same bear uh, wandering right up to it, um, taking uh, uh, like a tenth of a second beforehand. You know, you can see the bear clearly. Um, so uh, in my opinion, that, that that was kind of like an oh, wow moment. Um, and when we posted that, people kind of took off with it and made their own posts and recreations. And uh, that was really exciting for us because – it, what it really did was prove that the Jacobs photos were just the bear and, um, you know, that bears can go in that exact same position and they could look exactly like that. And, um, we, we proved that fairly clearly, um, I think. So, and it doesn't even um, have to be mangy or weird looking. Yeah. You know, it's just an awkward, weird angle. We're not used to seeing, uh, that a bear can take when it's feeding or sniffing on the ground. Yeah. I yeah, saw that so picture and I like, I mean, Oh, to be honest, I was a little disappointed because it did look just, just like the the Jacobs footage. I mean, like the Jacobs photo. So it's like, well, I mean, you know, of course, the Jacobs photo wasn't definitive. I mean, it was some, you know, furry, weird, and it, it did look very <coughs> monkey-like. I mean, if you if you looked at it, you could see it, but... Um, it, yeah, but that, you know what? It, it didn't look like a Bigfoot is described as being, you know. If you look at right. it, it has small little feet. <laughs> it looks more like a yeah, chimp looked, than a Bigfoot. Right, and that's what, yeah, it did. It looked more chimp-like than, you know, a full, it, it certainly wouldn't have been a, a full-size grown Bigfoot. But but that's why, I mean, it's valuable to have somebody out doing the kind of long-term project that you guys are doing and gathering, you know, um, you're, you're not just out there looking for Bigfoot per se. You're out there looking for other kinds of animals and what, what are, you know, you would, you expect that eventually if there a Bigfoot exists and they are in the Bluff Creek area that you'd have to get one on by just by, by a length of time. So yeah. if you don't get one, I mean, that's, it's not proof that they don't exist, but. Well, there's a lot of special pleading that goes on trying to explain away how Bigfoot supposedly can avoid trail cameras and knows all about them and uh, what the goals of photography are and what humans might do with photographs and video. But, I mean, that's, it's rather silly to think that a wild creature would understand these things at all. And, you know, we have coverage down there on the film site with, like, three, four different cameras in that general area pointing at all different directions. So any creature going through there is going to be taking that path of least resistance where... It's easy to go through the creek uh, canyon, which is rather steep and arduous on the sides, uh, rocky and, and hard to navigate. But down in the creek bed, there's, uh, there's food and cover and uh, water. You know, so this is where the animals go. Uh, we see uh, trails, you know, game trails all through there. So we've got our cameras pretty much right where all the animals go. Uh, to avoid our cameras, Bigfoot would have to be able to see all of them at once, you know, and avoid 
by avoiding one, you might be avoiding all the others. Uh, you know, at the same time, which is kind of impossible to do. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think that it, it, it's implausible to think that an animal could spend all of its time uh, trying to avoid a camera, you know, as if that would be a major concern in their survival. Right. In in that Bluff Creek, uh, Bluff Creek area, uh, is it pretty productive for just uh, getting shots of animals in general? You got four cameras in the area. You guys getting a lot of uh, productivity, you know, producing a lot of uh, photos from uh, of uh, other animals. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. You want me to talk about that? Yeah, go ahead, yeah, Jamie. Jamie. Sounds good. Um, yeah, it's um, it's very productive. Um, we see more uh, mountain lions than the uh, biologists do at the uh, at the national uh, national forest. Um, the area is uh, very full of tons of different animals. I think uh, we've been tracking uh, upwards of uh, 10 different uh, individual bears. Um, right now we have uh, three individual mountain lions that are uh, hanging out in the area, and we can uh, tell the difference between each one on the uh, on the cameras. Uh, and uh, I think last year alone we got seven or eight um really good videos of, of the mountain lions cruising up and down the creek. Um, and we also get um, a lot of smaller things that people don't really expect. You know, most people, when they think of uh, little critters in the forest, they think of, uh, you know, uh, so there's, you know, bears, mountain lions, deer, and then maybe some smaller stuff like squirrels or raccoons or something. But um, we have uh, a whole host of other smaller cr- uh, creatures. We have uh, martens, which are very rare and uh, off, you know, almost never seen. Um, sometimes the park gets a trail camera photo of one or, or uh, you know, someone has a chance encounter with a marten. Um, those are very rare. There's also an um, a even more rare marten called the Humboldt marten, which is um, said to be extinct uh, in that area. And we're, we're fairly certain that we have one on video that we captured um, uh, the year before last, um, cruising around the snow. Um, it was just a really small marten. Um, we also have minks. Um, there's a couple of animals that look like mink, which is, they're kind of hard to tell the difference between a mink and a marten, but, uh, we have some, uh, some of those. And recently we captured a, um, a ringtail cat, which is uh, a very cryptic creature. Um, you could even call it a cryptid, um, yeah. where we're at. They aren't really, um, they're not really well documented in our area. Uh, people see them and have reported seeing them or, you know, somebody says, Oh, I saw one across the road once, or I saw one over here. But, uh, if you check the literature, their, um, their range really, it doesn't extend up to where, uh, uh, where we're at. And, uh, we, uh, we have, we have one on video very clearly. Um, really nice, really nice photo of one. And it was uh, featured in the news as well. Um, the local news station picked it up and, uh, and played that. So we're, we're, we're doing, uh, you know, fairly good animal research. Um, and we, we, we keep, uh, statistics on all of our animals. So I have a, a spreadsheet that says, you know, this animal was seen at this time at this location. Um, so we can do, uh, some statistics on stuff. We could say, Oh, you know, the, the mountain lions usually come in in this month or, you know, the deer show up first and then the bears, then the mountain lions or vice versa. So, we we have the ability to kind of do some of these um, uh, um, calculations on things now. Now that we've been there for so long, I don't it's forget kind of the turtles. Science. 
Oh, the turtles. Yeah, the turtles. <laughs> we did get uh, we put a camera on uh, on one of the lakes, um, looking over a, uh, a marshy swamp area, and uh, we kept getting one of <laughs> one of the cameras kept getting triggered. We couldn't figure out what it was, and there was turtles that were climbing up on this uh, log right in front of the camera, and the turtles were mating in front of the camera. So we have just like <laughs> hundreds of pictures of these turtles like mounting each other in in so awkward you have ways. A lot of- so watch, was, watch soon kind of funny. for for video coming out. Um, turtle porn is coming from the yeah. From the bluff. But we had some bear porn too. Oh yeah, uh, I mean it, uh, it, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Did you did you see that Robert? The uh, video of the um, the bear that we had from um, the Twin Lakes. No, I don't. I go I, the the, uh, the bear porn. I've not seen that yet. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the bear's um, uh, bear's at the little watering hole, and he's uh, humping the ground. Yeah, uh, for, for minutes, for a long time, he's just like rubbing his crotch against the ground, and well, I take that over back. and over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, right now, I put those cameras up there at Twit. I think, yeah, we have to retrieve those. Yeah, it was yeah. that same one you uh, you and yeah. uh, Rowdy installed the uh, Reconic yeah. over there. Yeah, it's the one just past the Hornet's Nest. We all got stuck. Yeah, exactly. It was that uh, that same camera, but it's yeah. been um, <laughs> it's been kind of interesting. That one's had the most action uh, <laughs> in, in the last uh, last few months. Yeah, well, I did a little bit of, at the park, did a little bit of camera work there, not associated with the project. But the question people always ask is, do bears hibernate, and what does hibernate mean? But we we're curious about this one area, so we picked a geographical location, which is a perfect bear wall. It was just a old redwood tree that was burned out by fire, hollowed, and it, it kept water in it anywhere from 11 to 12 months a year. And we set the camera on it, and we could see when the bears would go by and do the wallowing. So we figured out that the bears, that area that particular time of year, uh, stopped showing up. At about January, uh, about, about the last uh, two, 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 three weeks of January, it didn't show up again until the beginning of March. A little skinnier, so that was a good project. Let us know that they... They uh, took their time out for their little rest for about a month and a half at the general area up there versus but here along the coast we're closer to the milder temperatures so there's really no need to do the the sleeping for six months. Yeah. yeah. I mean besides getting some rare animals, you know, like you know, the ring tailed cat and stuff, you guys are be- being able to document uh what's going through these areas at what times of year and and build patterns and ideas from that and that's that's invaluable information especially when it comes to some of these rare animals that are just uh, that are questionable in these areas um and that to me is just it's you know it's fascinating yeah and we have we have coverage up there 365 days out of the year running 24/7 on uh, all these different locations too so uh that area up there is usually closed from October until May, uh, if not longer, uh, with no humans going in there at all except the Forest Service. Uh, and we have them running uh, constantly on long-term lithium batteries. So uh, we're documenting things that are pretty much undisturbed by human contact. Uh, and this is an area that's getting more and more wild with the years. You know, it's growing back from the old logging that was done. And it's it's more and more uh, prime habitat for just about everything. Uh, I'm you know anything up there we ought to be able to catch it. <laughs> uh, there's only so many places they can go and hide. 
it's, it's also fascinating too when you go up to check the cameras, and you go up, you, you pull the cameras, and look through them, and, and you later on you realize that within an hour of you being there or less, there is a mountain lion watching you because it was on, it was captured traveling a certain way. Could have very well still been around. So that's kind of a makes you kind of look over your shoulder a couple of times when you. Yeah, that forward. was really that was really creepy when we hiked out of there in the dark up through the creek. And we oh, got yeah. the footage of those three mountain lions that had just been there, like, not but a day or two before. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, that, was, wonder, that was like, pretty scary. Oh, yeah, the buddy <laughs> system is always a good thing. It always looks to see where you're going and where you're bent. You yeah. You over by your shoes all the time without looking around. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, the other thing I'd like to bring up, too, is we always debated this as to which cameras to use, because... At work, for years, I've been doing some of the reconnaissance cameras, which are the quick, fired off. They're a little more expensive, but yeah. I guess it's still shot. And if, I, if, I, if I remember rightly, the other photo that was debated was off a reconnaissance one. But we use a lot of the bush now, a lot of the movie footage, which in a way helps capture movement and a lot of other things, which is sometimes much better than the still shots. But the debate goes on is if... Big creatures can see infrared light, or if any animals that are nocturnal can pick up on the infrared light, then they would, would, would see the triggering mechanism. So we, we've gone back and forth on that. So, hey, Jamie, why don't you hop on in on that one? You could, you could well, yeah, maybe explain oh. to people who keep bringing up that Bigfoot yeah. can see the um, infrared from the a, camera. Um, there's a, we, we get this a lot, and it's kind of a... Uh, um, it's, it's, it's a valid argument. Well, it, it used to be a valid argument, I guess. Um, a lot of the old cameras, they had uh, uh, lights on them that would run uh, all the time, um, and they would emit uh, a little bit of infrared light. Um, sometimes even their triggers were based on uh, infrared light. They'd emit a little bit. And, um, but now all the new cameras, they're all passive infrared sensors, so they only take, uh, they only take information in. They don't, put, uh, they don't put any light out um, as far as the trigger. So if the camera's in it's hibernation mode. It's just waiting for something to go in front of it. And there's really no, no, uh, any type of anything that's emitted from the camera. Right. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's no constant beam of light or anything coming out. Um, but once the camera's triggered, um, a lot of times there's a cutaway infrared filter that clicks on and off. Um, so that results in the stereotypical uh, click of the camera. So, um, sometimes that, um, on, on some of the older models, they had a really loud click. Um, on the cameras that we use, um, it's got a, a dampened click, so it actually just doesn't, it, it moves the filter, but it, the filter doesn't hit anything, so it doesn't result in a clicking sound. Um, so some of the older cameras, you know, when they turn on, like, a deer sometimes will look exactly, like, right at the camera because they heard something. Um, and recently, uh, Dr. Meldrum, uh posted a paper on his uh, Facebook page about, uh, you know, can animals hear and uh, see and smell trail cameras, and uh, uh, definitively it proved that they do, but it, a lot of times it's hard, or they have the ability to, but um, a lot of times they just don't, uh, they don't see it, and they don't hear it, and they don't smell it because of the background noise. So our cameras are right next to a creek, so when the camera clicks on, whatever small amount of noise comes out of the camera is drowned out by the background noise of the creek. So that's not so much of an issue. Um, and as far as the infrared light, um, once the animal sees the infrared light it's, uh, that, that's on the camera, it's already been caught on video. So if the animal 
looks at the camera and sees the light and gets spooked, a lot of times uh, uh, the animal's already been caught on video because our, our triggers on our bushnells are about half a second, which uh, isn't long enough for the animal to get out of the way. So um, that's kind of the argument is that, you know, animals can see the lights coming out of the camera, but, uh, you know, once that light comes on, they've already been caught because <laughs> they're the triggers inside the, the camera zone. So, you know, the animal walks in front and it triggers it and then the light comes on and it might see the light after that. But, um, most of the time it doesn't, you know, even at, even at night, um, we, we use cameras that are blacked out. They have an infrared filter. So it, uh, bumps it into a different uh, part of the spectrum, uh, than the deep red light. Um, normally like, uh, unfiltered cameras, you could barely see a little bit of a glow and animals that um, are able to see infrared light. Um, like uh, bears and deer and uh, mountain lions, they um, they would see uh, a glowing red light as well, and uh, they would probably be a little scared by it. But uh, with the filters, it, it bumps it out of their spectrum, so they have a really hard time seeing it. Um, and uh, uh, we've been pretty lucky. We really haven't had anything where the camera has spooked anything yet. Um, we've had a few instances where deer will look at it, and they'll be kind of confused by it. And um, bears, a lot of times, are more attracted to the smell of the camera, and they just play with it. They're not really scared of it at all, um, like you would expect. But uh, we have, since we have cameras that watch, uh, most of our cameras uh, have other cameras that watch them, uh, we have a lot of video of just the bears going up to the camera and then smelling it because they can smell the plastic. They can smell all the electronics inside. They can smell... Uh, you know, they can smell us, you know, from touching the camera, and uh, they do it repeatedly. They go, every time they walk by a camera, they'll sniff it a little bit. So, um, smell is a big, big part of it, but um, for the most part, they don't get scared because it's just another thing in the forest, you know. It's not like an animal or something that they have to be, it doesn't trigger that, uh, uh, you know, uh, fight or flight response that you would expect when an animal gets scared. Yeah. So, um, we're, we're, we're fairly confident that if, uh, if a Bigfoot walked through there, it would, um, and even if it does see the cameras, it might just play with it a little bit or, you know, it, the, the likelihood that it would understand what's going on with the camera is, uh, you know, is, is very unlikely. <laughs> yeah. Well, speak, speaking with the cameras, uh, sounds like you, you, you love the Bushnell and the Reconyx. Uh, it, if somebody wanted to donate a camera, and I assume you guys would accept the camera, depending, you know, towards yeah. people listening to the show. What kind of what kind of cameras would you steer away from, or do you just accept all cameras? Well, um, we, we accept all cameras. We have um, a couple of cameras that people have donated. Um, a lot of people buy the cameras for camping trips or whatever, and they just sit in their closet, and they might use them a couple times a year, um, only for a few days um, at a time. And uh, what we've kind of put out there is that if somebody wants to uh, put their old camera to use, they can send it to us, and uh, we can install it down at the film site and uh, put batteries in it and keep uh, memory, you know, fresh memory cards in it and everything. Um, there's some cameras that are obviously preferable to other ones. Uh, most of the newer cameras are uh, uh, they're fairly comparable, but um, so a lot of them aren't really built the same and. Uh, there's some that are cheaper that uh, really skimp out on a lot of the uh, coatings on the electronics. That's the number one killer of uh, trail cameras is uh, is moisture. So if any moisture gets inside of the trail camera housing, it'll oxidize all the uh, electronics and cause the uh, voltages to be different coming out of the sensors. 
which usually results in uh, um, you know multiple uh, can- you know multiple images taken, just you know where the camera just keeps taking pictures over and over and over again, or um, you know little electronic gremlins that that come out. But uh, a lot of the more expensive cameras have uh, have coatings on their electronics that prevent that. But uh, like Bushnells, you can get away with a little bit of moisture, and uh, it won't damage the electronics. Uh, same with Reconics. Reconics cameras are all they're dipped in uh, like a, a silicone. The uh, uh, so those you can almost throw that whole camera in a, in, a, in a river, and it would take pictures of uh, you know might might be take might take pictures of fish for a few weeks or something. You know, because they're almost all waterproof, which is why they're so expensive. Is because they're custom made uh, and uh, they have those protections. So uh, we find that uh, some of the Moultries and uh, the uh, they don't last as long. We've had uh, two or three Moultrie cameras out there, and uh, they're more susceptible to moisture. Um, they don't; their seals aren't really uh, that good on the edges. They're very thin. Um, the Bushnell cameras, the seal is very much like a, uh, a pelican case. It's a very thick plastic and has uh, has a, a rubber gasket around it. That's just a one-piece gasket. It's not a complicated gasket, um, and uh, they're sealed up very well, and uh, they, they survive the rainstorms and things. Some of the other cameras, like uh, Primos cameras, uh, they, they have complicated gaskets and uh, seals uh, that often uh, moisture gets inside. You get a little bit of moisture on some of those batteries, and the batteries will rupture and uh, destroy the whole inside of the camera. So um, that's kind of why we prefer Bushnell cameras, is because of their superior uh, weather protection. Um, and obviously we, we would prefer... Uh, Reconics as well, but we can get, you know, for the price of a, a comparable, uh, uh, for a really nice Reconics, you can get, you know, five or six <laughs> Bushnell. Yeah, I mean, you're talking four to five hundred <laughs> bucks for yeah. Recon- yeah, so yeah, so uh, they're they're very expensive, and Reconics aren't that. Um, they're HD video cameras. Um, they don't last that long in the field. The Bushnells, we like them because uh, we can put batteries in them, and we don't have to service them for six months. Uh, or you know, upwards of a year. They're um, they're rated to run for a year straight uh, with lithium batteries. And the Reconics, uh, like the Reconics camera we have at Twin Lakes now, uh, that one dies uh, after two months. So that and that one eats twelve lithium batteries at a time. So that's uh, almost twenty dollars worth of batteries every couple of months just to operate that one camera. Right. So that gets uh, that gets kind of expensive. So it's just. It's more practical on all um, uh, on all fronts uh, for those to run those Bushnell cameras. Yeah, um, that's just kind of what we've seen. There's a couple new players out there now um, in the camera world. I know Browning uh, now makes a, a really nice camera that uh, has really good reviews. Um, we haven't played with any yet. Actually, the um, uh, Browning has contacted us for uh, possible sponsorship for our, our camera project, but uh, we. <laughs> We haven't uh, we ha- we haven't worked anything out yet. We've been trying to get them to send us some trail cameras, but uh, they, they they haven't done that yet. But we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Now I also think so, what, I also think it's important too. Is, I I I, oh, I wanted to uh, let you know that uh, Rowdy Kelly is is on the line. And Rowdy, you can say hi if you'd like. I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah can. Hey, Rowdy. Can hear you. Awesome. You snuck in there where, cool. while you were talking. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, right. yeah I, I, I had to finish my honey-do list before uh, she allowed me to come be on blog talk. So. Good man. <laughs> oh, you're, so, 
I was going to ask, uh, now when it comes to uh, placing these cameras, obviously you're looking for uh, some obvious things. I mean, you guys look at the game trails and activity and whatnot. Do you guys have a specific height that you guys always place these cameras, or do you? It does it vary? Well, we, we, we kind of go back and forth. Uh, uh, I like them a little higher only because doing doing law enforcement work, you always like people don't look up. I take, take advantage of that. Jamie likes to keep them a little bit lower. So I'll let Jimmy go first. Yeah. Um, uh, the way that cameras work is that the, the infrared sensor is a very narrow beam. So you have to have the camera uh, perpendicular with the ground. Um, if you put the camera too high and uh, point the camera downward, that beam uh, intercepts the ground. It doesn't, uh, doesn't shoot that far. So uh, in order for the trigger to work properly, you have to have the camera um, – you know, straight up and down, and it has to face forward, and something has to walk in front. You know, walk in front of that beam. Most people think of the beam as like a uh, like a camera uh, lens or something, where you know anything that crosses the, this kind of a, a big amorphous zone will get will trigger the camera. But that's um that's not the case. So you want to have that that sensor uh, pointed straight forward. And sometimes you can kind of get away with uh, putting them up higher. Uh, we have put them up higher in the past and uh, that's been uh, moderately successful and um, there's downsides of everything like uh, sometimes when you put them too low the bears just chew on them <laughs> so if they're down uh, I like putting them low personally I'll put them up uh, you know two feet off the ground uh, is preferable because then we get all the uh, little ground critters the squirrels and the, the martins and the uh, uh, all the little things cruising around uh, but if they're if they're camera is too high um like if the camera's at waist height a lot of times we we miss those things because uh they just don't activate the trigger so you have to kind of think about the um you have to imagine just a beam that's coming out of the the trigger assembly uh that looks like a uh, a giant fan or something you know so once you can kind of imagine the way that they trigger you know it's uh you can kind of get a better uh better idea of how to set the height on the camera it depends on the situation too. Um, you know, there's there's different locations that might may do better with a lower camera angle too. Um, yeah. So yeah, we we go back and forth, but I think we've had a lot more luck with a lower camera angle. Oh yeah, yeah. We we've tried to put them up high a couple of times, and they don't um, they just don't trigger as often. Uh, where other cameras around, we've had cameras in the same location uh, monitoring the same uh, things, and uh, we find that the uh, camera that's up high just doesn't uh, just doesn't trigger that often. So uh, we try uh, and, even at wa- even at waist level and just a little bit above, we seem to miss quite a few things underneath. You know, uh, something triggers it, and you can and, and on the bushnells they have pretty good audio on them. You can hear something scooting around or walking around. And a lot of times it's probably just under the camera. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people argue a lot of people argue that you should have the cameras up high so it can roll out a lot of the the other wildlife, I guess. Uh um but I I agree, you know, placing them lower can there's there's much benefit to that if you do miss a lot if you place them up high. Yeah. As yeah, much as we want to find out to find out, you know, hopefully something big like that, we we gotta deduct everything else that's there. So we, we do need to 
categorize and inventory as much things as we can see and find. So uh, when we do hear something or we do maybe see something that looked kind of funny on the side of the lens, we, we know what it is because, you know, we've we've already had that experience or we've seen it there in the pictures. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, how do you guys, I mean, how, how, how do you guys log all this information and what do you take down when you go out there or review images? Uh, what are you guys uh, covering and logging? Uh, do you guys have, like, a database? Well, um, yeah, I can take this one. Um, I have a... a I have an Excel spreadsheet, um, which I, I maintain. Um, and when we take the, when we get all the, uh, images back, I'll catalog them. And I try and eliminate, um, uh, anything that double counts. So if we have one gear on six different cameras that triggered, you know, 10 times over 10 minutes, I'll just count that as one animal event. And, uh, I'll say, okay, you know, one deer and, uh, a lot of times you can't really, uh, like with deer, you can tell if it's male or female, but sometimes the bears are difficult. And uh, so I'll just note anything about the uh, animal um, that you could see, uh, anything that's kind of relevant. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we, we take down dates, uh, time of day, and then uh, I'll, I'll take make a little note about weather conditions, you know, whether or not it's raining or something. And uh, the hope is that, the, uh, that, this, that data can be, um, you know, used for, uh, you know, future studies or something, you know, maybe uh, a few years down the road, uh, you know, maybe the park will want to use it for, for their studies um, because it's, value, it's it's good, solid, valuable data. And um, we also take, um, I have a field notebook, so I note uh, each camera's location and uh, uh, just a few notes about each individual spot. Um, we've been, in the past, we've kind of, uh, we've gotten away with not be, not having to take uh, too careful of notes on our cameras uh, because we didn't have as many. But now that we have so many cameras, it's, uh, you know, all the cam- camera locations and uh, kind of blur together. So when we go down there, we're like, oh, was there a camera over here or was it over here? But, um, <laughs> you know, now that I, I, I take pretty detailed notes, I know, okay, we have six cameras down here. There are all these locations. And um, I also take uh, – I have a, I have a, a small um, – personal camera that has a, um, a GPS built in, so I'll take a photo of each camera once we install it, um, and that, that uh, geocodes it, so that has a, uh, a GPS tag built in. So if there's any discrepancy on anything, I have that picture with that GPS location, so I can go back to it. But uh, it's, it's becoming more and more of a concern when, <laughs> since we're, we're having so many uh, cameras, but we're, we're handling Well, we did it. have that, that one case where route, we couldn't find the camera, and then we got another photo of Rowdy that where he had the camera bootlegging it by the truck. Yeah. You know what happened was, um, uh, that camera, um, was malfunctioning. So, uh, Rowdy had given that camera back to me and I just didn't remember it. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to keep track of them. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd like uh, to point out, we, we have been working with the forest service on this to a certain degree. Uh, mostly in the past with, uh, establishing the location of the film site since we uh, did verify and prove that it was the real film site. Uh, since then, we've had uh, meetings with them. We took a group of them down to the film site to see it, and they didn't even know where it was. But uh, now we have Merv George, uh, one of our guys we've met with. He's the head of the Six Rivers National Forest, so he's a native Hoopa, uh, native Hoopa guy, and he's totally open to Bigfoot. You know, there's no conspiracy to cover Bigfoot up. They, they um, are 
quite sympathetic to our our efforts, and they enjoy the possibility that Bigfoot might be out there. Uh, I mean, if anything, it's an asset to their local forest here to have that historical uh, location documented. And I'm sure they appreciate that we're doing this uh, wildlife field survey, you know, uh, keeping track of what's going on in their back hills. Um, Yeah. I think, think, Robert, you should tell them... You should tell them the story of how we met Merv George. Oh, yeah, it's classic. Our, our very first day, this, I think it was, uh, I want to say September or October, I can't remember. It was honey, it was deer season, so it was probably about in October. Rod and I were at, pretty much at Burm. We were setting up to go take all the cameras. We had like six or seven cameras to deploy down towards the film site, and we were debating which way to go, and we were dealing with rains. We get the camera all set up. And we're dressed like we usually dress, you know, camel this, camel that, park like this, look like that. And uh, this truck comes driving down, this diesel pickup, you can hear it coming. So it shows up, and gentlemen, you know, we're at the end of the burn, so he goes to turn around, and he's kind of looking at us funny. And we have a camera set up right above our vehicle, kind of just shooting a different way. You know, we get to talking, and he was out hunting with his daughter, uh, enjoying the, uh, the the uh, environment which he which he uh, manages, and he, we got to talking, and it was kind of a funny that he ends up being uh, like second in command, and here we're out looking for Bigfoot, and he's not that, and he's he's a fan of Bigfoot, and he, and uh, it was like really, so we had a big conversation about the whole thing, and it goes back to that old adage we always say is sometimes things happen for reasons, and so far on this. A Bluff Creek film site project, as well as finding the film site and doing the camera project, it's like we've run into numerous people as if we've been in the right place at the right time, and everything has worked out pretty well. So from that contact alone, we set a, another appointment date just to talk about that the project, and he, he was very supportive of it. It's just funny that we uh, were there doing our thing, and here, here comes the guy who we need to meet, and he shows up. <laughs> and it's yeah. funny how yeah, that it, he had never he had never been down that road before, so he was just kind of exploring roads. And and yeah. his uncle was actually on the Jerry Crew crew um, in 1958. So he had, he had some history in that area, and he he was very excited to find out that that was the spot. Yeah, and wow. he's the um, he he is the he recently got promoted as the director of the entire. Six Rivers National Forest, which is uh, one of the largest national forests um, in California. Um, so he manages the entire forest. He's the he's the boss right now, and he's um, he's a big supporter of our project. So uh, yeah, so we have local control of our forest here. You know, locals are running it. Uh, you know, what, what Robert Robert Leiderman himself, himself is was a, a just retired from the state parks ranger job. Um, so. We definitely don't have a cover up going on here. So so yeah, you guys you guys haven't really ran into any roadblocks, anybody trying to shut you down. You, you guys really it doesn't sound like you've had any real issues with placing cameras out there in some of these areas. Uh, nothing conspiratorial. Oh, well, not at all. Uh, yeah. Six Rivers National Forest is a long skinny sliver that runs into Oregon and way down towards Mendocino. And it's broken into two sections to op- for operation purposes. Uh Every, every every public land area has a pool where it. Why do people go to certain places like Lake Mead? There's a big water, and 
Hicksburg's National Forest doesn't really have a whole heck of a lot of stuff drawing people in. It, it, it Originally, it was timber harvest, but then it became watershed. So we're on the watershed side of it. So the biggest phenomena is one of the biggest draws to Hicksburg's National Forest area at this point. And uh, with the illegal drug activity, with the marijuana grows uh, affecting visitation and, and, you know, those kind of things, um, they would like to see the public coming in and be doing positive things in the park, which the Bigfooting is a positive thing. Uh, and and that, was, that was a good thing they'd like to see, getting more people like themselves <coughs> who want to go enjoy the wildlife and see what's out there versus want to participate in any illegal activities. But Bigfooting is, a, thanks to finding Bigfoot, you know, it's been a household word now. A lot of people want to go out and scream and be on trees. So a lot more people are, are coming out to, to indulge in the Bigfoot phenomena. And Bluff Creek being ground zero, the place where the Patterson film was shot, is kind of a place people would like to eventually come see. And one of the things we were doing with the project was trying to make it easier for people to find it. And, and I love well, the yeah, history yeah. with it. One, one of the things that the Forest Service guys express and that we've always w- worried about with our friends is public safety. Uh, going down there, you know, because you can get lost and you can uh, lose your car over the edge of the cliff. Uh, there used to be a big rock slide right above the film site, so people would have to take their trucks and go kind of diagonally sideways, leaning over towards the cliff just to get past that to get down to the film site. And, you know, many people um, have, have had accidents where they had to be pulled out of there or like Daniel Perez's uh, RV, which uh, went off the road and caught fire out there. Uh, so these guys are really concerned with, you know, our documenting of the of the area and finding the right trails in the right location so that people don't do crazy things and get hurt. Uh, and, you know, they close, the, they close the area off for a good part of the year, but that's not to keep Bigfoot information secret. You know, it, it's, it's to protect the, uh, the visitors from the, you know, mudslides and trees falling over and other unsafe conditions up there but also to protect the uh, porterford cedars, which have this fungus disease that rots their roots out. And it gets spread by people who go in there during the moist weather times of the year, uh, tracking this funga- fungal spore around on their boots and their tire tracks. You know, So uh, if they're up there looking for Bigfoot off-season, they might actually be killing these old, uh, wonderful old-growth trees. And, you know, that's one of their main concerns. I never see anybody uh, trying to prevent us from looking for Bigfoot. At all. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it sounds to me, sounds to me like uh, a lot of these, these, you know, these government agencies, like the Forestry Department, you know, they're not experts in these areas by no means, and that you guys provide a lot, uh, not just to them, but to the public, uh, both with safety and with uh, some of the information you guys are bringing to the table. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, we in the future. Definitely. We definitely will get more, but it's something we always talk about is. Uh, really what's going on, especially with like Finding Bigfoot and popularity of Bigfoot shows on cable, is we've created a whole younger generation of Bigfoot believers. And they're going to be pushing the parents and the next wave of, of uh, exploration and tourism um, with families and stuff. And, and that's what Six Rivers, I think, is starting to gear up for and realize that you know there's not too many kids under the age of 12 that don't believe in Bigfoot nowadays. And they're they're that they're going to be uh, um, you know for the next ten to fifteen years, uh, kids wanting their 
their parents to take them out to this famous place where the you know the Patterson Gimlin film was shot. So yeah, and yeah, it is it's a pretty, good... it is pretty remote and dangerous out there if you don't know what you're doing. If your car breaks down, or yeah. if you expect we... to find a McDonald's or a gas station or anything like that out there, you know you're going uh, some 35, 40 miles out from Willow Creek, which is already sort of in the middle of nowhere, and then another 17 miles out into the mountains, and then you hit dirt roads and you go another eight miles or so down to the film site, and you're you're out in an area where you might not see anybody for days at a time. You know, there's nobody out there to help you. Uh, rangers don't necessarily patrol it every day, so you you got to be prepared to survive out there. Uh, it's not going to be Disneyland, and I don't think you know um, it, it ever will be. Uh, despite the the things that we're doing now with the Forest Service, we're not trying to develop it into a tourist draw with a big parking lot and a gift shop, you know, like some people have accused us of doing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Roddy, you remember when we were down there and uh, uh, we were just getting ready to set the cameras up, and uh, Malcolm driving down the road, and we asked him. What's with the berm? Because we really thought they were closing the roads down and thinking about blocking access to get down to the film site. In reality, they didn't know that's where the film site was. And uh, they were were only blocking the road where it was safe. Beyond that, it was unstable and unsafe. And and, uh, Craig Walgater had his vehicle on the rocky slide and other problems. So in a way, they were managing resources. And our input... Uh, bringing that to attention of the Forest Service was what they wanted to hear to protect areas to set them aside so the public still have places to go. So in a way, sure. Forest Service is really trying to work with their with their constituents. So I just want to throw that out there before I know we've kind of yeah. They, window, that was one of the things they out. talked about. You know, they're trying to close down more roads out there, and uh, they needed more input on well, which roads were being used. And I imagine that road. A few of them probably knew that was one of one of it was the road to get down there, but I don't think it was brought to light until we kind of brought it up. That yeah, don't close this road down this any further. You know, than yeah. You have. When we were first going in there, it was so overgrown that you could barely see the road uh, down from twelve and thirteen down to the creek itself where the film site is. It was literally a tunnel through young alders and um, drones and stuff growing up right in the roadbed, this old logging spur. And, you know, uh, I think if, if we hadn't been doing Bigfoot activity up there, they may very well have just closed the whole thing down, which would have made it very hard to get to the film site. You know, a three-and-a-half-mile hike up the creek would have been your option at that point. And the more the public knows where this place is, the more the public takes advantage of this resource, it goes there. Uh, it's going to be on the map, and it'll be around longer. It won't disappear like it did back in the 80s and 90s and just tell some crazy people have to go refine it again. It'll always be a place where people always know about. Well, yeah, we'd yeah. like to think of it that way, you know, and that, that it has kind of, public that kind of value. Into, uh, the, the, the next chapter of our project that we're kind of going for is uh, conservation. We had talked about um, trying to make it a, California Historical Landmark. Um, there's a, a program in California where you can get a monument uh, placed and uh, special protections for um, for famous and historical areas. And uh, that's kind of, we've always kind of had that in the back of our minds. And uh, I think we're going to try and push for some sort of a historical protection of the area um, uh, pretty pretty soon, I think. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. along with that, are you guys, you know, I, I would find that some sort of documentary on what you guys are doing and who you're working with would be right uh, right in line with, with your approach of conservation. Um, have you guys mm-hmm. been approached by anybody? Or are you guys even planning doing some sort of documentary? Yeah, well, uh, Robert, you want to take that one? Because you, you, yeah, you did most I'll, of the documentary work already. Yeah. When we really just started this project in 2010, 2011, we videographed the whole uh, thing. I mean, 2009, I Robert. <laughs> Sorry? 2000, 2009. What did I say? 1990. 2010. 2000, 2010, 2011 were the two years we did our Buffy Suicide Project. And, uh, and we we did more work in 2000, 2012, and we started documenting, putting the uh, the video cameras up for the, uh, the conics cameras and the bushnell cameras up for a project and checking them but we also are planning on taking all this information we have and documenting in terms of, of book format and uh, i've already started working on part of that so everybody of this group that's here on the phone has a job to do minus ian who's necessarily <laughs> not on it yet but everybody's contributing to this book we're going to get together pretty soon and I already started working on uh, the basic foundation of it, where they just need to insert their information. And the whole idea was is uh, we're documenting on paper what we we did on video, but nobody wants to watch 80 hours of video. Uh, <laughs> and whoever does, I take my hat off to them. That's a lot. That's a lot of sitting time. Yeah. So, well, I've gone through a bunch of the video stuff, trying to get the dialogue and the concepts down for the book format. So now my free time is spent. Doing my videos, going, I can't believe I'm watching this. All these videos, picking out the stuff that's important and, and taking notes and putting it into book, book format. So, yeah, I think it's important that the natural and cultural history be readily available to people who want to learn about it, that anybody who wants to get to the film site should be able to do so, and that they should respect it when they get there. And I think that the people who spend the time trying to find it find the film site again to make it publicly known should get their credit due, which is entertaining when it comes back to how many film sites there were buying their film site based on the information they used. It was kind of important to start over from the very beginning and use the original stuff as a foundation for finding where you need to be, not basing everything on everybody's footsteps, which was confusing in a way. Anyhow, with that said, I think it's a good project. We also want to take the videos and knock it down, make it more like two hours versus 80 hours, uh, and not make it a miniseries, but just available as to what what's going on so any zealots are really interesting into the step-by-step, blow-by-blow, yeah. they'd have more stuff to watch. Right now, people can view these things. Uh, Robert was our official videographer, and he put a lot of time into making these videos. We have about 70-something videos on uh, YouTube right now, if you well, search for yeah. the Bluff Creek Film Site Project on YouTube, yeah, uh, you'll find uh, they're hosted the on the BFRO. BFRO. Yeah, that's yeah, on the BFRO. Like, yeah, and we're, we're, we we also have some of the trail YouTube. camera stuff up there. Yeah. Over a hundred yeah. some videos, all sorts of stuff, but we're trying to make make the. Uh, Bluff Creek Film Site Project and the Bluff Creek Camera Project videos available off the website that Jamie's working on so we can avail- keep it there and not put it on all the BFRL stuff. Yeah, well, oh, if yeah. I could maybe give out the addresses for these things. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good time to yeah. do that. 
yeah. If you're you on YouTube, ahead. you can view uh, the trail camera videos. Just type in Bluff Creek Project, all one word, into the search box, and that will get you the YouTube page. Uh, recently, Jamie put together a blog, and that's all one word again, bluffcreekproject.blogspot.com. And there's links in there to what's going on with us, our funding drives, our videos are linked on there, and there's uh, all the information you'll need to get uh, hooked in or donate to support the project. Uh, you can also read about this on my blog if you want, bigfootbooksblog.blogspot.com. I've been covering this for a long time. And there's links on there to all of the old uh, film site project videos that Robert had worked on with us. Um, so those are good resources for you. And uh, yeah, um, we're hoping we're hoping to put up higher quality versions of these old film site project uh, videos. Because some of them, due to YouTube at the time, they were uh, processed into kind of a low quality video. So we're hoping to re do these and have them on the Bluff Creek uh, YouTube page. Excellent. Very cool. And yeah, very I, cool. I don't know uh, people, you know, you know the, go ahead. the idea of these guys actually at one point not that long ago the the film site for the Patterson Gimlin footage had basically been lost and these guys took it upon themselves to go out there and spend a copious amount of time and hours you know, hours and resources to uh, relocate it. So, and they they didn't just go. They actually went down and did specific measurements based off off of uh, landmarks that are still there. That, you know, the the stumps that are are in the Patterson Gimlin are still there. Um, I've been to the the documented site now, and and uh, it it's cool that that you know that a piece of Bigfoot history that could have been lost. Um, was these guys went out and and spent the time to relocate it so that now pretty much anybody who who has interest can can visit where you know uh, this place yeah. a big piece of uh, Bigfoot history is whether or not there is a Bigfoot and that's that's my question to to the guys that are members after spending all this time on this project um, with you know and not getting a the paparazzi shot of a Bigfoot. Where do you stand in in uh, your feelings about the the possible the probability or or lack thereof that that there is a Bigfoot? Well, well uh, <laughs> one at a time. Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go well, first. I just say I just say like briefly, uh, what we're doing is testing the hypothesis, as Jamie has said. You know, uh, we are open to the possibility that these Bigfoot sightings that people still have around here are possibly real. You know, we're not assuming Bigfoot is uh, every noise, shadow, and form that we see out there, but we're definitely exploring the possibility that it could be uh, out there. In 67, something walked across the gravel bar that was filled, and whether or not the debate goes on, whether it's really a film or a guy in a suit, whatever, I have my preconceived ideas of what I think is going on with that. Everybody has a different opinion and take on it. But talk about luck of the draw. They were there because something happened, because somebody told them that something was down there, and they ended up showing up there. And they didn't, didn't drive up there, park their car, get out with their horses, and drive up and take a picture. They were up there for um, a little bit more than a week doing their reconnaissance work back and forth before something happened. Uh, 
that's a pretty wild place. That's like in the middle of nowhere. It's like you injure yourself out there, uh, you better hope somebody knew you were out there. And I've hiked up and down the canyons. There's been a lot of different places up there. And I, I found bear tracks. Uh, I found mountain lion tracks. I've never seen the Sasquatch running around. But, you know, that creek running in those canyons, and uh, the closest I ever came when people asked me that is walking down the canyon and hearing a full-blown conversation going on where it wasn't going on before. And you stop and you look and it's up the spur canyon. So you go over there and you Hey, hello, anybody here? And you show up, then there's nobody there but running water. And that makes you scratch your head going, huh. So I looked all over the soft sand for prints. There were none. So was that my imagination, or was that the sound of the water? Because uh, I've been up there in Laos camp area. There's been weird shit going on. Uh, I was up with, with Bart and Bobo, and uh, something crossed and, and crashed, crashed through the brush while we were up there, and we had weird calls before and all sorts of stuff that you can't explain. But I don't have a piece of picture that says I saw Patty and or Patty's cousins. That's a tough one. Uh, it's a big, wild area. Be in the right place at the right time. Uh, there's It's a wild area. Who knows what's out there? Hey, Jamie, your turn. Oh, um, yeah. I, uh, I agree. I think um, uh, Stephen said my... You know, uh, illustrated my my uh, where I where I stand pretty well. Um, I think that we're down there just uh, testing the hypothesis, you know. And uh, as far as me being a believer, I'm, I say that I'm not a believer. Um, that uh, I'm just open to the possibility, and I think that uh, it's likely that they do exist. I think there's enough evidence to uh, keep doing what we're doing and uh, keep pressing forward. But uh, you know, as far as belief, you know, belief is. Uh, you know, reserved for religion and stuff, you know. So I'm okay uh, either way uh, with what we're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, I also respect the position of people that, uh, you know, they call themselves knowers. They know that they're there because, uh, you know, like if you talk to Bobo, he says, well, I know they exist because I've seen them. And, uh, and you know, I, that's that's kind of where they, uh, where people like that stand. So I, I can respect that position as well. But uh, for me, I can't say that I believe, but I, I definitely uh, think that they um, that there's plenty of evidence to suggest that they do exist. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of go from there. Uh, what I'm more drawn to is how many witnesses have come forward, and people that uh, put their their um, you know integrity on the line, saying what they saw. And I've talked to enough of them that I believe some of them are telling the truth. And starting from that point, uh, when Stephen and Robert approached me about helping on this project, I was kind of like, well, who really cares where that site is? What does that really matter? And I think that kind of goes to the heart of the project, too, is, is to help scientifically um, with all the measurements and the height of the trees and the distance from the stumps to the creature and, and all that kind of stuff. We're, we're going to help kind of help identify our figure out what that creature was or what that thing is, whether it's a man or, or a, you know, a, a Bigfoot creature. If, if I just go from gut instinct, uh, yeah, I, I think there's just too many credible witnesses out there. There's definitely something out there. Yeah. Uh, whether I've seen one or not, no. Maybe I've heard one, maybe not. But uh, this area, up until 1958, hardly anybody went up there. 
a few Indians would make pilgrimages way back into their uh, sacred areas, but uh, people were not in this area. In 1958, there's just a few roads. And what's going on in Bluff Creek is it's coming back to its former glory. You know, they're not logging anymore. And due to this Port Over disease, they're shutting it down for up to seven months, sometimes eight months out of the year. Uh, where this this whole area is really untouched, and there's not too many places like that, uh, especially in California anymore. So uh, it, it's a, really a special place, and if, if we're going to find something, I think it's going to be out there if these creatures are out there and if that's where they prefer to be. Um, I think I think those guys just got lucky. They're in a, a remote area, and uh, you know back then the 16 millimeter was today's camera. That, that small camera like that was easy to carry around, and uh, he just got lucky. Those guys got just in the right position to see whatever they saw. And you guys got to remember, too, that uh, Patterson was behind a shaky camera. You really can't see anything when you're trying to look through a viewfinder. It's Mr. Gimlin that really had the, the eyes on this creature. And uh, meeting him the few times that I have, uh, I truly believe he saw what he saw, and uh Kind of go, got to go from there. Yeah. So, so do you think it's just? I mean, you've got twenty cameras out in in this area. Um, if if you think they the possibilities they still exist, what, why have at this? How long have the cameras been out for? I mean, I don't think you started out with twenty cameras, so it's been a gradual build, I'm sure. No. Um, this year's the first time we've had uh, twenty. I think we had. Uh, uh, 13 last year, and the year before that, there was uh, uh, six. Yeah, six or seven. Yeah. Well, this one, yeah, I, I, I kind of started started with just a few that Jamie gave me, and I got a few good hits on bears over an onion mountain. But, you know, like Jamie put out that stat, is it, you know, we're covering what, 0.000% of the uh, the area out there? Yeah. Right. So we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're we're covering somewhere in the area of uh, one thousandth of one percent of the total area. Uh, Needle in a haystack. Yeah, so it's I mean, still, uh, right. you know, the definition. We're 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 a part of a needle in a haystack. You know, uh, for I mean, this entire forest is incredibly huge, and it's um, less explored today than it was fifty years ago. Um, no one goes there, and you know, our cameras see uh, fifty or sixty feet in front of them. But, uh, you know, there's that that whole creek itself is 30 miles long, and our cameras only see 60 feet of it. And how long are those, uh, whatever animals are, gonna, are, are they going to be in the creek? Do they do they start at the bottom and hike the entire length of the creek, or do they just run up and down the ridges and hike the ridges? Um, we don't really know. So um, our hope is that we basically just uh, get lucky um, yeah. at this point. And um, we're, we're trying, and, uh, you know, that says something, but... Um, unless we have cameras up and down the, the entire Creek and the other, you know, there's creeks all around there. So there's blue Creek and uh, wildcat Creek and um, you know, several of these huge uh, creeks that are equally as big that have no roads down to them, no trails up them. Um, and they're all in the same area. So, I mean, until we have coverage on all that, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see us ever saying that, uh, you know, you know that they don't exist based on null uh, uh, evidence. Yeah, I like to point that. That's a good point. I, think, yeah, I, like people, to add to that I don't too. think people understand the the, the 
ginormous uh, task, the undertaking of how, you know, you go out in the woods and, and you put up 20 sounds like a lot of cameras, and it is for most projects. Shane, how many cameras are up in the, the Olympic project, Harry? Do you know? I don't know the exact number. Um, I know, um, you know, Derek and him, uh, we've kind of taken away some we, of the... We talked uh, to Derek about it recently. Um he said that he operates uh, off and on. He operates around ten cameras now. Yeah, it, between ten and fifteen. Yeah. So, but uh, so those are—I mean, think, those uh, are tiny numbers. Yeah, like you say, it's covering very a very very small uh, percentage it, of the the entire area. So. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. an argument that I hate when people say, for me personally, knowing and I use trail cameras in other areas that. Well, we haven't got anything on trail cameras, but really it's a needle in a haystack. I mean, you've got so much forest, and you're only placing these cameras within a small portion of that forest. Uh, some of these areas are very hard to get to. Um, you know, capturing any wildlife uh, sometimes is hard. Um, but, you know, it's a, wow. it's a poor argument that because we have not captured a Sasquatch, a definitive picture or at least a really good picture of a Sasquatch on a trail camera, especially... Uh, I find them to be highly intelligent, um, and not saying that they they avoid them and know what they do, but maybe see something out of ordinary in avoiding them. But that we have not captured this is uh, doesn't blow my mind at all. Actually, not not one, not even a little bit. Yeah, I would challenge anybody to go, you know, people who live in cities or whatever, and say that everything's been explored. Uh, just go on Google Earth and fly over Humboldt, Del Norte counties. Uh, of Trinity County, this whole area is incredibly sparsely populated. There's almost no civilization from the edge of Mendocino County all the way up into Oregon. You know, it's just vast mountains and forests with tiny little towns and a few little minor highway roads going through them. You know, and so well, that's what yeah. we've done is we've just tried to pick as our spot uh, a prime location that's known for its history of Bigfoot, you know, uh, Going back to the ancient native culture, uh, they held Bluff Creek as a special spot. You know, it's right down uh, south of their pilgrimage trail and, you know, north of their other pilgrimage trails that go up into the high country there. And the old uh, word around here is that they never went up into the headwaters of Bluff Creek because it was known for these uh, big, hairy men that lived up there, this, like, other tribe or whatever they were. And uh, so this is like a, a, a hypothesis that we've come up with. Just pick a spot and, and do our best to survey it as we can. Um, in the meantime, you know, you can't see everything walking around on the ground or with a trail camera. But, I mean, I do have contact with people around here, like the Forest Service we spoke of. I've got the guy from the CHP. He's watching his dash camera for me as he cruises these little highways. You know, I, I, know, I met another guy. I probably shouldn't say what government agency he works for. But he's up there in one of those uh, aircraft doing um, high-resolution thermal scanning of the whole area. Uh, you know, they're looking for uh, illegal activities done by humans. But he, he says that they've never seen anything like a Bigfoot. You know, and, and when they see a bear or a deer or uh, human pot growers up there, they uh, they can tell what they are. So um, we've got those eyes in the sky kind of informally uh, telling me about this. Yeah. He's already doing what the Falcon Project dreams of doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
we can do a lot of this just with our little um, helicopter drones that Rowdy and Jamie have, too. Yeah, I just want to, to emphasize, Stephen, sorry to interrupt, that we're not using bait stations to attract animals. We're using game trails. We're using game trails uh, close enough to where we can check the cameras uh, outside of our major use areas. So, again, we're like, we're not, we're not out, we're not, in, we're not parachuting into the middle of the wilderness just for a camera. So, that, that we're, we're still in an area where humans do make contact along old uh, logging roads or trail systems. Yeah. So just just as this project just as this project's kind of grown out of the uh, Bluff Creek project into the camera project, it'll continue to grow. We'll uh, you know continue to work our way up the canyons that uh, hardly any of us have ever been up, let alone other people, and uh, start establishing more trail cameras and and try to cover the area. We've already explored a little bit more this last two seasons as far as trying to hit the higher ridges and uh, some other known uh, areas. That uh, especially that are easy for us to get to in the winter, um, but yeah, this area is got is really untapped, I think. And yeah. whether it takes two years or four years or five years, uh, you're never going to know until unless you just keep doing it. Right. And one of the one of the things I like about this particular project, with all the negativity out there and all these these hoaxes and everything else, is not just what you guys are bringing to the table as far as. Uh, you know, trail cameras and, and everything else is the people involved because you guys all seem uh, very uh, skeptical as to the information that you guys find and whatnot. And you're, you're coming from an, a skeptical approach, um, looking at hypotheses and whatnot. And, and to me, that's, that's something that I, when, when I look towards uh, projects of this nature, um, you guys never jump and say something's a Sasquatch when it's not, and you you, you hold judgment back. But you're looking and you're you're categorizing and you're uh, doing your due diligence when it comes to the real groundwork of the whole this whole project. And that's something that I I just love, and I give kudos to you guys because I, mean, I hope people in general uh, that are listening and look towards you guys uh, take value with that. There's a lot to be said about this in uh, this day and age. Yeah, we just want to be honest honest about this thing, you know. We'd love to prove that Bigfoot exists, but we're not assuming Bigfoot exists before doing this, you know, because that would bias our results. Uh, we're not going to look at every divot in the ground or every call in the woods uh, as a Bigfoot when we know that it's probably from bears and owls and other things. Uh, but we want to be honest about it, you know, and sincere, and and not you know try to impress anybody. Just do the solid work that we can and, and present the results. And you know if if we get ringtail cats and mountain lions, that's just as exciting to me as getting a bigfoot. Really. Mm. And no, 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 it's not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. If we, you had we a bigfoot face looking that. at a camera. <laughs> I I'd like to just see a picture of uh, or a video of the bigfoot just you know. Just farting around down there on the creek, you know, just <laughs> walking slowly or, you know, just hanging just out. Just doing Bigfoot yeah. stuff. Hey, Jamie, you <laughs> just want to add it to your porn collection, right? Your animal porn yeah. collection. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I like yeah. that, that, one, that one mountain lion we got on the film site that sat down right on the trackway where Patty walked. And, oh, yeah. you know, it sits down and starts scratching its ass and, and yeah. licking itself. Just, just like, like a, cat. a house cat. Just like a house cat. Just stuck yeah, one leg in the so air. Cool. And uh, and that was the coolest thing, just watching this huge animal just stick its leg in the air, just like my uh, my cat, you know, cleaning itself. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're getting a I don't, I don't know. We're getting like daily life pictures of these creatures. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know if you guys talked about this earlier, but you know, this kind of project wouldn't have been able to really happen ten years ago or five years ago. I, I think these lithium batteries have really made the big difference. Uh, the first year we tried some different battery supplies, and Jamie tried, uh, you know, like the little solar panels and stuff like that. And nothing was really very dependable unless you bought something huge out there. So it, this is all just kind of coming together just at the right time, especially with uh, high-definition video. It's really tough for us to say, okay, well, let's put this in camera mode. Darn, you know, it's a it's a tight little section that we're looking at, so we need it in camera mode to be a little bit quicker. We, we're really getting spoiled on watching this high-definition video, and, you know, we're, I don't think we're going to go back to uh, too many still pictures if we have the opportunity to uh, have high-definition video gives us so much more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's real nice. And so guys, what, where do you see the, the future? Go ahead. Uh, where do you I'll see the future of the, the Bluff Creek project Second. going? Where, I mean, what's the future of the, the Bluff Creek project? So. Well, uh, here, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, well, I, I, I think that um, where we're going with it is we would like to, we would like to have more cameras. Um, obviously down on the creek. Um, I don't really have an ideal number of cameras right now, maybe uh, anywhere between, uh, you know, I think we could, we could, we could handle probably 30 cameras. Um, uh, any more than that, it might get a little bit more complicated and uh, more expensive for us to, uh, to service that many cameras during the year. But uh, what we're seeing right now is the camera project and just our entire research project evolving into this, conservation project kind of this larger uh picture project where now we have a, a great record of all these animals that are uh, hanging out and um we're establishing these trails these are historic trails that have been there for for years and um we're kind of uh we're starting to maintain the trails a little bit and getting them a little bit more worn in um to now where uh people can uh we have maps that we offer um on our crowdfunding page where you can get a map and uh, directions to the site where somebody wants to go down there with their family and uh, go and check it out, they can do so uh, safely. So I think or they we, can come with us. Yeah, or they can come yeah. with us. Um, we have options for that on our crowdfunding page. Maybe I should talk about the crowdfunding page a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of unique. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of other projects they try and go the crowdfunding route. Um, but to date, um, we're, we are pretty much the only crowdfunding pro, uh, project that's uh, been successful. Um, I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head that have had uh, even uh, met their goals or come close to their funding goals um, uh, when, when using crowdfunding. We see a lot of these uh, uh, projects like Todd Standing trying to raise, you know, $900,000 or something ridiculous <laughs> for his project, or which is, uh, is laughable. <laughs> you know, Falcon Project wants really like low. a three hundred thousand. Yeah, or something. you know, like the the Falcon Project. Um, you know, William Barnes is a great guy. I actually um, uh, I've talked to William Barnes, uh, and he, uh, by coincidence, he's a uh, I actually know him from where I used to live um, in uh, Auburn, uh, California. Um, I used to gold mine in the same area that he was gold mining in, and uh, <laughs> that was kind of a coincidence. Um, and I've I've talked to him before about his project and. Uh, all of his uh, goals are very noble, and uh, he's approaching it the way that he um, 
he knows to, you know, uh, he's establishing all these, uh, you know, their ground crews and he really wants to push for, um, just having lots of people, uh, being out there and sneaking around and trying to find these things. And, uh, you know, we applaud him for that, but you know, for us, we, we can't, we can't afford to hang out there all, you know, every day and, uh, and everything. <laughs> so we just, we go with the trail camera route. Um, so the crowdfunding project makes it possible for us to do that because these cameras are expensive and uh, a lot of people are really interested in what we're doing and uh, you can uh, sponsor a camera. We've got uh, uh, links on our pages uh, to our Indiegogo crowd- crowdfunding page. You can donate, uh, the, I think, uh, for a $300 donation that gets a camera and um, uh, covers a set of batteries and a memory card and a bear box. And uh, that's one whole camera set, uh, camera setup. And we've had a lot of people that, you know, they, they're, they're getting older now. They can't get out in the woods, but they really want to be part of some, you know, big project like this. And uh, we're kind of giving them that opportunity. Uh, so that's, that's really been the key to our success is the, uh, the crowdfunding project. This wouldn't have happened without, uh, in, you know, money input. I don't think any of our uh, significant others would have <laughs> approved of us spending this much money on, on uh, toys to go out in the woods looking for Bigfoot, so uh, it's been a it's been a real big help and an asset. So that's that's kind of how we've been able to make this possible is through through uh, successful crowdfunding campaigns, which I think oh, we're okay. on our fourth campaign now. My my mention, you know, this is a public research project. All of our data is uh, open that we we'll, you know people can use it and view it. We're not going to hide it away and try to profit off any pictures that might be Bigfoot. You know, so it, it, if you're donating or getting a supporting a camera, you're actually putting the camera in the field yourself. And we're just doing the the boot work, carrying it out there for you. Yeah, I mean, I unless, like... unless you click the bias of beer uh, option, four dollars <laughs> bias of bias of beer. That's like moral support. <laughs> Yeah, the, that's, that's my favorite option. We also don't mind showing people the film site either. What, what was that? I said we also don't mind showing people the film site either. Yeah, um, we have um, we have an option on there if people want to. Uh, I think uh, right now I have it set at an arbitrary, I think uh, five hundred dollars. If people want to uh, get a private tour or have you know, um, if people want to go out there and be shown the site. Um, that kind of covers our fuel and food for the weekend of camping out. Um, if somebody wants to personally go out there and uh, check it out, um, we don't really profit off um, the uh, just the fuel to get out there. You know, with a couple of trucks, it uh, gets pretty expensive. And we also have um, we have another option too. Uh, since we go out during the summer, we go out camping there pretty often. Um, at least two or three times, we have uh, we camp out there for four days at a time. Um, we have a suggested uh, donation. I think it's uh, $100 right now. Um, if people want to go out there and just meet us out there at the campsite and uh, hang out with us and uh, tag along with what we're doing while we service the cameras, um, they can do that. Um, and, you know, we say that that's a suggested donation of just to contribute to the project. But uh, a lot of people contribute in other ways, too. Um, so, uh, like, uh, we have uh, Wes Lossner, uh does our artwork for us. He designed... Uh, uh, all of our uh, logos. Uh, he's a tattoo artist, and he contributes in uh, you know many ways. And uh, uh, we always invite we invite him out to come out and see the project. And uh, Jeff Kelly, uh, he contributes to our project significantly. He helps us out. 
with uh, promoting the project, and he made a, a documentary video for us last year, which was great. And uh, he's done a lot of work for us. So we kind of have this, um, um, you know, we, we if people come out, we kind of suggest that they, you know, somehow contribute to the project. You know, we don't do any type of tourism or anything or offer real, uh, you know, Bigfoot tours or anything like that. Um, we just, if somebody wants to come out and they're interested and they want to tag along and uh, help out, that's, uh, that's totally cool. They can come on out with us. Um, you know, some people have, uh, you know, expeditions, which is, uh, you know, it's a great way to raise funds for your project. Um, it's just, uh, you know, some of that stuff's a little complicated for us. Can't really, uh, uh, we can't really set up, you know, a huge expedition where we have, you know, 20 people, but, you know, out there that all pay, you know, hundreds of dollars a piece or something, you know, like the, the BFRO. Well, we don't, we don't want to become like the BFRO making yeah. a profit making venture. I mean, everything yeah. we've done with this project has been only for the uh, camera support, really. Uh, yeah. None of it's for really. We I don't I don't think I've ever had a beer from the donate a beer button. Yeah, yeah. we've never. Um, uh, <laughs> all every penny that gets donated goes straight towards buying cameras. Um, so none of it goes towards um, uh, buying anything else. Um, you know, cameras or you know memory cards or uh, bear boxes or batteries. That's pretty much it. Um, yeah, and we, this is cover our own like, tool. It's not about yeah. buying us toys like, you know, give me a thermal so I can do my Bigfoot hunting, you know. Yeah. This is just about a, a, a wildlife survey project that you can be a supporter of if you'd like, you know. Yeah. Very so, cool. Yeah. Well, if people want, I mean, if you if you don't know who Steven Stroyford is, he you if you've seen Willow Creek, he was on Willow Creek. He owns Bigfoot books in the town of, Willow Creek. So if you get down that way, stop in there and uh, check it out. Buy a book. Um, say hi to Stephen. Um, Robert Leiterman is is an author of several Bigfoot books. That, so look him up on Amazon. You can. Uh, Robert, how many books have you written? I, I I'm aware about but, four. Well, well, I've done seven uh, seven fictional books. I'm just starting to get a little more serious to do nonfiction of actually real stuff. Instead of just uh, telling stories, I could tell real stories. It's always fun to read. It's always fun to read something, anything big footy. So, and they're well done. So, if you get a chance, get on Amazon and look up Robert Leiterman and and, uh, pick up some of his books. Um, And uh, we really appreciate you guys coming on the show today. It's about all the time we've got. Um, Any last words? Well, I'd like to say, yeah. if you want to see Jeffrey Kelly's movie that he made with us, uh, it's called Nine Men Search for Evidence of Bigfoot. Or the number nine men search for evidence of Bigfoot. That's on YouTube. And yeah. it's pretty cool. That's a great way to just see uh, kind of what we do down there. He came, he followed us around while we were uh, servicing our cameras, and it's about an hour-long uh, uh, mini-documentary. Um and that that kind of that's a really good um, uh, way to just kind of show people what uh, kind of what we do down there, um, which is yeah. kind of cool. So it's kind of uh, funny, we, but it also covers the history of the yeah. whole uh, issue of where the film site was, how it got lost to time, buried in the woods, and what we're doing with the trail cameras, and we even do a little foot watching and find some potential tracks and things like that in there. Yeah, and we we'd like to thank you, uh, Gunner, too, for having us on the show. Um, you know, uh, it's, you're always, uh, 
you're pr- promoting people and uh, you're promoting, uh, you know, uh, science and promoting all the, you know, everything. So it's it's great. We uh, we we'd like to thank you too as well. Yeah. You betcha. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, next week, uh, next Sunday, we'll be coming live from Guy Edwards' monthly event uh, up in Portland from Hopsquatch. Um, I know Todd and oh, yeah. and Nice are doing the program, so uh, I'll have a beer or two, so I might be a little more talkative next week. So thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, thanks for having us on. Thanks. thanks, guys. All right. See you guys. Cool.